0: To Good morning, hello. If you want to return to your seats, you can stop being so friendly. Um, great to see you all. Great to be here. Uh, this is the first sermon I have pre- proper sermon I have preached live in a long time. So this, thank you, Ven. There you go. Um, It's great to be kicking off uh, a new teaching series this morning uh, called Just Eat. Uh, And what we're going to be doing over the next six or seven weeks or so is uh, going through the Gospel of Luke, uh, which is one of the biographies of Jesus' life. Uh, And Luke documents uh, an organized and helpful account of everything that Jesus did in his ministry, which lasted around uh, three years or so. And I guess for most people, we would be familiar with some of the things that Jesus got up to. Uh, so we would remember some of the big stories, the, the, the highlights reel of Jesus' life, uh, the miracles, his teaching, uh, his praying, uh, uh, all sorts of things uh, that Jesus would get up to calming storms, all sorts. But a little bit like when you watch uh, the TV series 24. Has any, anyone watched 24? I know it's a little bit dated now, so not as many people know about it, but it was huge like 10 years ago. At uh, 24, the, the, the hero is Jack Bauer, uh, and he tries to save the world within a 24-hour period, and it's just from one event to the other, and you just get to the end, you think, has this guy gone to the toilet at all in the last 24 hours? Or has this guy eaten a meal or gone to sleep or anything? And sometimes we can treat Jesus a little bit like that. He just goes and does miracles, and he speaks to people. He does all these things without really stopping. But actually what Luke does really helpfully is that there are moments of real intimacy where Jesus stops, talks with people, and eats meals. There's something about the normality and humanity of Jesus that comes through in this gospel. And so we're going to look at those moments. So rather than focus—there are some miracles uh, in this series— um, but rather than just zooming in on those, we're going to zoom in on some of the meals that Jesus has with different people, which I'm particularly looking forward to. I think a theology of food is a good idea. Um, and so, But we're also going to look at uh, Jesus having a community around him, building relationships with people. And so we're going to be doing that. Uh, but I also think it's important for us at this stage of the year, if you watched, if, if you were here last Sunday or watched online, uh, Clary did such a helpful job at uh, explaining some of our emotions and feelings of what we might feel like coming out of lockdown. And there was a whole range of emotions. Uh, and so, but I think we can probably confidently say that each one of us is craving uh, that moment where we can gather together uh, freely without restrictions without limitations, uh, where we can have people in each other's homes, eating together, making up for lost time and so on. And so our prayer for this series is that as we read through Luke, as we look at these accounts of Jesus, that we would be stirred to connect with one another uh, that we, as a church family, but also that we would see those who, who, who uh, beyond ourselves, see those who need community. See those who need to experience grace and love and consider how we can bring them into our homes, into our lives, into our church family, that they might experience the kindness and the love of God. Uh, so one of my favorite questions to ask people when they come around, it's not a kind of interrogation, uh, but when people come around, or you are hanging out? One of my favorite questions uh, is, if you had one more day to live what would your last meal be? I know it starts morbid, but don't worry. If you had one more day to live, what would be your last meal? Uh, what would be your choice? There are no limits. So it can be your grand roast dinner. If it's Ash George who leads the fish pond site, he's going for a KFC and a cherry pie. I can tell you that for sure. Um, but what would it be for you? Now, to, to add a twist to that question, I wonder if you can think of the most memorable meal you have ever had. What's the most memorable meal you have ever had? Perhaps it was just the culinary experience. It was so good that you just couldn't, you could never forget it. Or it was the company. Or something really odd and strange happened in a moment that you're just never going to forget. Um, I'll share one with you. I have actually told this story before, a longer version, so I'm going to keep it short. But um, one of the most surreal and memorable meals that I had was being stranded at 18 years old in another country with no money, no phone, uh, no one that I knew in the city that I was in. I thought I'd uh, booked a hotel with my uncle's credit card. It hadn't gone through. <laughs> so I walk into the hotel, and they're like, I, I think I've booked a room. They're like, no, you haven't. And I'm stranded there for two nights before my flight home. And I'm like, crumbs. I mean, that wasn't what the word that I used. But it was like, crumbs, what do I do in this moment? And there I was trying to use all of my powers of persuasion to let this hotel let me stay there for free. They weren't having any of it. And I was in the lobby, and this lady who was sitting in the lobby just kind of taking it all in, and she just kind of saunters up and asks me what the problem is. Uh, And so I explain my situation to her, uh, and I'm waiting for a flight in two days' time. I've got no one to stay with, no money, nothing, uh, and I didn't know anyone. And without any real delay or hesitation, this lady called Maria grabbed my hand and said, you come with me. And and, uh, you're like, gosh, what have I got myself into here? Uh, She was uh, a Mexican lady. She was in her kind of mid-50s. And she just kind of drags me to the car. um, And and we get in the car and we drive off. And I'm sitting in the back seat of this car just thinking, oh, dear. (laughs) What what have I done here? Uh, And then she goes and explains uh, what, what, she's, what we're going to do. She goes, James, we're meeting my friends for pizza. I'm like, oh, that's fantastic. That, that sounds great. And So there I am, about half an hour later, in a city that I'd never been to, a huge city that I'd never been to before, sitting in a pizza place with four Mexican women in their mid-50s eating pizza, speaking Spanish, and I'm just kind of quietly eating my pizza, just minding my own business, kind of nodding and trying to do that awkward thing where you laugh at the joke even though you have no idea what they're saying because it's in Spanish. Um, It was an incredible experience, one that I will never forget. And they treated me like I was their lost Son, a lost relative in that moment. The remarkable thing was that Maria then dropped me back off. She paid for my hotel for the next two nights. And she picked me up from the, air, from the hotel and took me to the airport two days later. How incredible is that? Uh, it's something that I will never, ever forget. And in this chapter that we're going to look at, in Luke chapter 5, another incredible meal Takes place. And so the passage is going to appear on the screen. Let's read what Luke has written about what happened and see what we can learn from it. It starts in verse 27. After this, and in case you were wondering what had just happened, Jesus has uh, just healed a paralyzed man who had been lowered down through someone's roof by his friends. Just before that, Jesus had healed a man with le- leprosy. Uh, completely healed. These guys weren't just feeling a bit peaky. They were, uh, and picked up a little bit, lifelong disabilities, completely healed by Jesus. And so Luke kind of casually says, "Well, so after after this, uh, this is what happened. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And then Jesus goes on to illustrate in three different ways what he has come to do. If you, if you read on, he describes his coming to earth like, like a bridegroom, like a feast to be enjoyed, like a wedding. And then the next illustration is it's like, is like an old piece of clothing that needs to be repaired. Uh, but he says you can't repair it with a new piece of fabric. You've got to replace the whole thing. And then the third illustration is is his coming is like new wine being poured into new wineskins and not old ones, otherwise they will burst. And in all these meals that we're going to be looking at over the coming weeks, I guess on the surface, uh, on the surface level, there, there is a surface level need That is being met or in other cases it appears that just something very normal is taking place but here Jesus is demonstrating and showing the bigger reason as to why he has come and so if we were to just summarize this story in really plain terms uh, you might come up with this so Jesus asks Levi to follow him and he does Levi has a meal with Jesus and some of his other tax collectors, friends. Uh, The religious leaders are angry because they're always angry. Because why is Jesus hanging out with these people? And then Jesus answers with what could be described as his mission statement in verse 32. I've not come come to uh, call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And we can read our Bibles a little bit like that, can't we? Just give me the headlines. Just give me the information that I need, and I can move on to the next part. And there is a place for that. If we were to dive into every word of every verse and try and pick up every detail, we wouldn't really get very far in our Bible reading plan, probably, if we waded into every intricate detail. But there is also a time and a place to slow down and understand not just the surface-level details, but the deeper meaning behind the story. And then ask the Holy Spirit to help us understand what it means for us. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, So let me ask you a question. With the passage up on the screen or in your Bibles, what to you is the most significant or remarkable part of this story that Luke tells us? I'm going to let you think. I know that's a remarkable thing to do. But for you, what is the most significant or remarkable part of this story or verse that you think is here? Is it the cutting response of Jesus at the end? The, the verse that you could put in on the wall in your living room that he hasn't come for the healthy but the sick. I mean, that's a good line, isn't it? That is is a good line. Um, Or is it that Jesus is now sharing a meal, not with just one tax collector, but a load of them? Uh, Is it that Jesus saw Levi in the first place and spoke to him, a Jewish rabbi, speaking to a man who was regarded by the Jews as a traitor? I mean, that's, that's pretty remarkable. Do you know what grabbed my attention, and you don't have to agree with me on this, but do you know what grabbed my attention as I read it a few times through? Is that having said that what goes on is is quite normal, actually there is a miracle that takes place in this passage. There's a miracle that takes place. Something incredible happens. Jesus went and spoke to Levi, who was sitting at his tax booth, And he said to him, follow me. And Levi's response is incredible. Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. He got up, left everything, and followed him. Something has happened in this moment. Something has happened that that ought to make the hairs on the back of our neck stand up. It's Levi sitting there at his desk doing his work when Jesus, the God of the universe in human flesh, walks by and says, Levi, follow me. And Levi does. (laughs) Now Levi probably was aware of who Jesus was, may have heard some of of Jesus' teaching but Luke seems pretty clear that there wasn't really much discussion here. It was an impulsive moment. Levi saw Jesus, heard the invitation, got up, left everything, and followed him. Now, to follow Jesus or to follow someone in that culture was more than just to literally kind of follow them around. You know, So I've got a daughter called Maddie. Most of the time she follows me around, although quite a lot of the time she also runs away uh, and that that causes a problem. But it's not like a a physical necessarily of of following Jesus around, watching his every move. It's more than that. What you have in in Jewish custom was rabbis, these teachers, these traveling teachers who would gather disciples and followers to follow them. Follow uh, literally traveling around with them, but more than that, following their way of life. And Jesus' request to Levi is to follow him, to follow his way of life. It was to be part of Jesus' community of followers who gave their lives to Jesus' way. To be invited to follow was to be invited into an altogether different way of living. And for Levi, it was to receive A completely new life. Levi's life had been defined really by his job. He would take the taxes from his own people, hand it to the Romans, which was very lucrative for him. But it was really seen as a betrayal of his own people. And so Levi would have likely had very little in the way of friends, family. He would have been cast out, seen as unclean. But here he gets an invitation into a new life, and he sees something in Jesus that is deeply appealing, and and the invitation was attractive for him enough to to leave everything. He didn't just say left a few things and then went back and got got back and got a few more things. He left everything. You know, I doubt all is. Questions were answered. I doubt he fully understood or knew what he was really getting himself into. But it was enough for Jesus to say, follow me. And he did. And in that moment, in that moment, what would be regarded as a social outcast in his own community, a sinner who was unclean, who was lost and without hope, had received a new life. In Jesus. What an incredible thing to happen. A man who was spiritually dead is now alive. A miracle had taken place. You know, and for many of us here, there was a moment when Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, grabbed us and said, Follow me. In fact, down the generations, millions upon millions of people have made that choice to follow him, have have responded to the invitation. I was a teenager, lost in my own little world, lost in my sin, lost in, in wanting to find happiness and contentness in what the world had to offer. And Jesus grabbed hold of me and said, follow me. And in a sense, follow me sounds like an invitation, doesn't it? And in a sense, it is an invitation. It sounds like an invitation, In another sense, it's a proclamation. In another sense, it's a proclamation of who you belong to. So earlier on this year, uh, Sarah's granny uh, sadly passed away. She died. She was an amazing uh, woman of God. We went up to Liverpool for the funeral. And Sarah's uncle gave just the most remarkable eulogy you can imagine. It was unbelievable. And he said, Sarah's granny was called Sally, and... uh, uh, he said, Sally comes with many titles a granny, a mother, a sister, a friend. And he just pauses. But Jesus says, You're mine. And there wasn't a dry eye in that church in that moment. Because follow me is a proclamation, it's you're mine. And when he saw Levi, he said, Follow me, but really he said, You're mine. And it's an incredible moment. So, what about you? Do you belong to God? Have you responded to Christ's invitation to follow him? You know, I'll be, I'm aware that there'll be people here or watching online who perhaps. Have not had that moment with Jesus yet. Been working things out. Lots of questions. But I think Jesus would want to say to you, follow me. You're mine. You belong to me. We'll deal with the questions later. Follow me. And so I just want to pause for a moment. And if you want to respond to Jesus today then I just want to lead you in a really simple prayer. And perhaps you have made that commitment years ago, but you want to kind of recommit. You can do that now too. So let's just take a moment of quiet and let's just pray. And you can use these words. You say, Jesus, thank you that you know my name. Thank you that you created me, that you see me. Thank you that you don't judge me because of my sin, but you deal with it. And you've given me forgiveness, just like with Levi. You've called me in spite of my sin. And Lord, I want to say I'm sorry for for when I've turned my back on you, but I want to receive your invitation to follow you. I ask that you fill me with your Holy Spirit that I would know that I belong to you in my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've seen this story that it, it starts with a miracle. It starts with a miracle, but what happens next? Well, the scene changes in verse 29. In t- verse 29, the scene changes, and Levi is now suddenly holding a party with a load of other tax collectors. And Jesus and his disciples are there too. And you think, crumbs, that, 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 that's escalated quite quickly. <laughs> he's now throwing a party and he's gathering all his mates along to celebrate something. Here, Levi was firstly on his own, minding his own business, and now he's throwing a party. And it's because Levi's new life in Jesus had led to a celebration I love that. Such was his delight for what had happened to him that he holds a party, holds this great banquet and invites whatever friends he had, which were tax collectors, along. And what do you think his friends and his colleagues would have made to what had happened to him? He's just met this guy. He's now just made a friend. Is He's just going to hold a party every time he meets a new friend. Unlikely, but Levi is celebrating a life-changing encounter with Jesus, and rightly so. But you have to think that those who knew Levi must have thought, what on earth is going on? Has Levi gone mad? He seems to have left his job, impulsively followed this traveling preacher and his band of merry men, and, and now he's throwing a party and inviting Jews who would ordinarily have shunned him round to his house. And for those who, who don't follow Jesus, the decision to give your life to him can be seen as foolish. For some people it's actually an occasion for deep sorrow to see their friends or family members giving their lives to something that doesn't make sense to them. I've had the joy of of baptizing many people in this building over the years. And often the thing that comes up in conversation as you lead up to that Sunday is if this person's family don't follow Jesus, they are most nervous about what their family think of them. They're always concerned with, "With what do my friends and family think? Do they think I've gone crazy or something? The decision to follow Jesus is so radically different to the message of the world that it's supposed to look different. In fact, you could go further and say, if you haven't ever had to deal with someone questioning a decision you're making because you follow Jesus, then it begs the question, doesn't it? Does my life really look like I'm supposed to be following Jesus? Am I really living distinctively? Following Jesus in some way is supposed to be foolish to people who don't know him. Because it doesn't follow the wisdom of the world. But that which is not seen, which is God. And The Apostle Paul writes about this in the first letter to the Corinthians. He says this, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching We're not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. And then further down he says, No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden, and that God destined for our glory before time began. What Paul is saying is that the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God is in competition with each other. But that only one of those will stand the test of time. And it might not appear wise to those people of the world. In fact, it might appear as foolishness. But in time, those who live by and declare God's wisdom, Paul says, you will know glory in eternity. And in spite of the worldly wealth that Levi had built up, In spite of the abuse that he would have received from all sides for the decision that he was making, Levi left everything to follow Jesus. Levi's life appeared foolish to his friends, but it was what was required in following Jesus. That's massively challenging, isn't it? That's really challenging challenging to me anyway, when I was reading this and writing it down. I felt challenged. Does my life look distinctively different to my neighbors and the people around me? Are my friends who aren't followers of Jesus in some way confused and baffled by the decisions that I make because I follow Jesus? And if you're not sure, if you're you're not sure whether you're following the wisdom of God or the wisdom of the world, an easy place to start to think about is consider where you go to when there's a problem in your life. Who do you go to first? Do you go to God? Do you go to Google? Do you go to family and friends? I mean, there is a place for Google, right? Uh, Google's great. Um, But where do you go to when there's a serious problem that tells you something about where you're drawing your wisdom from. How can I live a more distinctive life? And we're confronted by that in this story because Levi left everything to follow Jesus. The final thing that I want to draw out is, is the line of questioning that the Pharisees have in the story. Look at, look at the verse. It says, interesting, they, they don't question Levi, do they? Who did they they don't even question Jesus, in fact. They question the disciples. They question, they grumble to the disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Notice how Luke picks up on the change of language here. From tax collectors and others in verse 29 to tax collectors and sinners in verse 30. The, the community Of tax collectors and all those associated with them were seen as sinners. Gentiles is the word that is often used. Those outside of the people of God. And if you had anything to do with them, you were also seen as unclean or outcasts or Gentiles. But notice how the focus of their question is on the eating and the drinking, it's on the eating and the drinking. Why are you eating and drinking with them? It's not why are you hanging out with them. Why are you talking to them? Why are you eating and drinking? I mean, what, what's the deal here? In that culture, to, to share a meal with someone was to show mutual respect and honor to each other, but it was actually deeper than that. It was in essence to say, we are one. We, are, we belong together, we are a family. And you can imagine for the Jewish teachers to see Jews not only speaking with Gentiles and sinners, but to be reclining at their table, which is what they would have done, and sharing a meal, it was blasphemy. It was criminal. You know, the Old Testament law prohibited such behavior. All the food laws in Leviticus, I know you've read them all, um, Uh, All the food laws in Leviticus about what the Jews could and couldn't eat, it, it really wasn't about the food itself. You're like, what's wrong with the pig? Come on, surely that's... It wasn't about the food itself. It was rather about separating themselves in any social setting that involved people outside of the Jewish community. It was separating themselves so they wouldn't be infected by the culture around them that they wouldn't be uh, kind of led astray. To eat food that was prohibited, as it were, was taking sinful material, taking the the sinful world, the sinful culture into their body. If you know the story of Daniel in the Old Testament, he was exiled to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel was, was noticed as one of those high achievers. You know the people, the high achievers And and he was very wise and was invited to sit at the king's table. If you know the story, he was invited to sit at the king's table. But what did Daniel do? He refused to eat the king's food. Because it wasn't that the food wasn't nice, but because he saw that eating the king's food was a danger to him. It was, in a sense, taking the culture into his body. You are what you eat. That was what Daniel was thinking. And a meal represented that kind of thing. So for Jesus and his disciples to be sharing and eating the same food as the tax collectors that had been prepared by Levi's house, well, it was shocking. It was appalling. It was taking in all that was wrong with the world into their bodies. Why are you doing this, the Pharisees say. And Jesus' response is brilliant, isn't it? He said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's interesting, isn't it, that in chapter 5, we see two physical healings beforehand. But here at the meal table... Jesus is drawing a connection between everything that's going on in this chapter. And he says, I've come to heal the sick, physically and spiritually. He wasn't interested in those who had it all together, who saw themselves as superior in any way. He says, I've come for the sick. I've come for sinners, for sinners. I've come for the unclean. And, he, and he's bringing in a new way of living, a new kingdom, which was not built on his followers following the letter of the law as written in the Torah, because, because they never could. But by receiving his grace, the free gift of grace, it was, as he said, a new garment being formed, throwing the old one out, And the new one would be replaced. A new wine poured into new wineskins. This is a new life, a new way of living that Jesus is bringing. And so this meal is enacted grace in front of us and to those around. He saw Levi. He called him to follow, gave him a reason to live, celebrated with him, shared a meal with him, identified with him, became family with this man who was on the outside, a down-and-out reject. And as Tim Tim Chester writes in his book Meals with Jesus, the only people left out are those who don't think they need God, the self-righteous and the self-important. And you know, Levi's story isn't all that different to ours. If you think about it, Levi was lost. He had chosen worldliness and earthly treasure. He was spiritually sick. He was an outsider. But Jesus saw him. He called him by his name to follow him. He celebrated a meal with him and gave him a new life. And the truth is for me anyway, is that before I knew Jesus, I was lost. I was spiritually sick, an outsider, but he knew my name. He he knew my history. He knew my life. And yet he still invited me to follow him, to live a life that is different, to not follow the wisdom of the world, and to demonstrate his commitment to me Instead of physically sharing a meal, Jesus on the cross took in my sin into his body. All the filth and the mess and my uncleanliness of my life. Jesus took that into his body and in his death put our sin to death. And in his resurrection and his victory over death, we now have victory and resurrection to come. Jesus took the punishment on the cross and in his body and his blood gave us a new meal to eat. A meal of, of bread and wine in which we remember what he did for us but a meal where we enact taking into our own bodies the life of Jesus. That's what communion is all about. We we demonstrate and we take a moment we say we receive the life of Jesus into our bodies again. And you can do that. We're going to do it in a couple of minutes. You can do that for the first time today. So let me just, let me just close the loop on, on what happened to Levi. Because sometimes we hear these stories and then we think, oh, surely they then just eventually went off and did their own thing. Uh, maybe they just kind of it all fizzled out at some point. Perhaps it was just a flash in the pan moment. Levi actually got a new name. He got a new name which represented a new life for him and he was called Matthew. His new name was called Matthew and Matthew continued to follow Jesus. In fact, Matthew wrote an account of Jesus' life which is in the Bible, which is very, very helpful, isn't it? If you want to know what Matthew thinks about things, you can go and read his account of Jesus' life. And Matthew became one of the 12 apostles. And his encounter with Jesus has led to millions and millions of people who have also chosen to follow Jesus. Isn't that astounding? I find that absolutely incredible. That one moment where Jesus says, follow me, and the impact that Matthew has then had in following him. It's amazing. Luke 5 is is an amazing chapter. It starts with fishermen catching miraculous haul of fish. Two accounts of incredible healings. And then the calling of this tax collector to be a disciple which ends in a party. It's what I want my life to look like. And I wonder what might happen if even in the duration of this Just Eat series, we were to have people around our tables, in our homes, meeting people for coffee, going on walks, having barbecues, lunch breaks, whatever it could be, but all as opportunities to show grace to people who don't know Jesus, to offer grace and generosity to others. I wonder how many celebrations and parties we could throw for every person that chooses to follow Jesus. That's my prayer. In the autumn term, I want us to have so many baptisms because we've invited people into our homes and shared the life and the presence of Jesus with people. I'm just going to invite the band to come up who are going to lead us in worship. Perhaps we just want to stand together. And we're going to take communion in a couple of minutes. But imagine what a simple invitation could do for someone else. And that's where it starts. And so just while the band get ready, I'd love us just to think about someone in our life that we could invite round. That's the simple, that's, that's all I want you to think about <laughs> Who could you invite? Who could you invite round to your house or go for lunch somewhere, grab a coffee? Who could you invite and expect God to work miraculously in their life? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this story. Lord, thank you for the meaning in it and what you did in this man and Lord we want that for ourselves Lord we want to see people respond to you Jesus and so Lord we ask would you use us would you just like that song that we sang would you give us a confidence that comes from you that we might see people respond to the invitation that you have for them we ask by your Holy Spirit would you help us To do that, in Jesus' name, amen.